0: In the early 1980s, Patty Davis was passionately opposed to the build-up of nuclear arms. She constantly spoke at rallies, criticising the nuclear arms policy of the Reagan administration. However, unlike many other protesters who spoke at rallies and carried placards, Patty Davis was in fact Ronald Reagan's daughter. Her mother Nancy was appalled at Patty's actions because she felt they were a personal attack on Patty's father. But as long as she was respectful and civil, her father didn't mind Patty publicly expressing her views. Writing about her father in 2012, Patty admits she chose the more militant in your face approach instead. She frequently told the media it wasn't personal but today she realises that her actions spoke louder than her words. While Patty was demonstrating for world peace, she now admits that she was also a child railing against a parent, nothing more. I was at war with my father. One of her biggest regrets was turning her father down every time he wanted to sit down and talk with her about life. She would say to him, I know your side already, and she admits her refusals to talk wounded him. She also expressed regret for participating in an anti-nuclear rally in 1982 at the Rose Bowl with 100,000 people in attendance. Just before she came to the podium to speak, the entire audience was chanting, Get a new president, get a new president, Every fibre in her body told her to walk away, but she gave the speech anyway. Looking back, she admits no one remembered one word of her speech, only that she came on stage when a 100,000 people were calling for her father to resign. Later in life, when her father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she said... I would look into my father's eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of Alzheimer's with my words, my apology, hoping that in his heart he heard me and understood. Patty Davis concludes her article in which she tells her story, I wish that now, all those years ago, I had led with kindness, not with ideological stringency. We are, after all, remembered in the end for how we treat others. Sometimes the political has to be tempered with the personal. Interestingly, when Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he gave them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And we're familiar with the line, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Notice the order of forgiveness. Even though we have probably recited this prayer countless times, including today, we might not realise the importance of the order of the words that Jesus gave to each one of us. We have been forgiven by God first, and so we are called to forgive others, because we have been shown mercy first. Of all the phrases in the Lord's Prayer, the only principle that Jesus follows up with an additional explanation is this line about forgiveness and making things right in the sight of God. But when we look at the prayer, we can see how forgiveness plays into the rest of the Lord's prayer. If we see God as holy, if we truly want his will to be done in our lives, then we will do as he has done for us, forgive forgive others to put things right in our own life. And this leads nicely into our sometimes challenging reading this morning about anger and how we should try to deal with anger, an emotion that is not negative in its own right, but can become negative if allowed to influence the way we lead our life and our interactions and our relationships with those around us. And this emotion can also influence our interactions with God in worship. As we heard in our text from Matthew 5 this morning, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother, I'll put in brackets, or sister, has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. If you inhabited New Zealand 2,000 years ago and wanted to follow this teaching from Jesus, You would probably this morning have been riding your horse or camel down Fendleton Road, tying up your animal to a hitching post in what is today the church car park and dismounting dismounting onto swampy tussock. Slung over your saddle would have been your offering, not a newborn lamb as sheep had not yet been introduced into New Zealand. Picture coming to the place God was worshipped. As an act of worship you were bringing your offering to the altar, The significance of Jesus' teaching here cannot be grasped unless we understand that you, as a worshipper, are being asked to make sure that you've sorted out all your disagreements before your offering is placed before God. The gift in Jesus Christ's day was an unblemished lamb which the priest would sacrifice on the altar to atone for the sins of the one bringing the gift. This is the picture that Jesus paints You've brought your lamb to the altar in front of the temple, seeking God's forgiveness for your sins. You are standing there, waiting for the priest to take the lamb, when you remember that you need to put things right with someone to patch up a disagreement. What do you do? Offer your gift to God and then seek peace with someone you have a disagreement with? No. Jesus says, seek forgiveness from the one you are at odds with and then offer your gift to God. In other words, seek forgiveness from others before you seek forgiveness from God. Now thankfully today we don't have to bring a sacrifice to the altar this morning because Jesus was our sacrifice on the cross. He paid the price for every one of our sins. So no other gift is necessary. But the principle still stands. Seek forgiveness from others. Put things right with others reconcile with others before you seek forgiveness from god now they may or may not forgive you but either way you have demonstrated a change in your own heart the message bible translation helps us make this personal application this is how i want you to conduct yourself in these matters if you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering You suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right, then and only then come back and work things out with God. So one essential for quality worship is to resolve relational issues. The quality of our relationships in families and workplaces in the community is an important aspect of our relationship with God in heaven. People can rub us up the wrong way. Family members may not measure up to our expectation. Neighbours may be really difficult to live beside. People may have taken things that we consider belong to us. Disagreements may escalate beyond what we are comfortable with. And here is Jesus, in our scripture today, challenging us, his listeners, by saying the quality of our vertical relationship with God depends on the quality of our horizontal relationship with others, in our family, in our community, and beyond. It's not an easy text to hear at times. But as Patty Reagan found out, seeking resolution before it's no longer possible is very important. Coming back to our text in Matthew 5, Jesus asked us to first be reconciled and then come and offer our gift. You would think God would not want us to stop and interrupt our worship of him. Yet resolving relationship challenges is very important in God's sight. Even small issues can be our prayerful focus. The assumption is that we can just come to the Lord, ask us for goodness, and everything will be hunky-dory. But Jesus places priority on getting our relationships right with our brothers and sisters and others in our life. Has anyone beside me found all this a bit challenging at times? It's one thing to love God, who has nothing but our best interests in mind. It's another thing to love people who are sometimes selfish and hurtful or wrong to us. There is a saying that sums this up very well. To dwell above with saints we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with the saints we know, now that is another story. What if we've tried and it didn't work? Forgiveness means you release that person from any debt owed for past behaviour. It doesn't mean that you trust the person. Forgiveness is something that you do, regardless of what the other party does. Research has shown that people use a different lens for viewing others' behaviour versus their own. In a conflict, we tend to attribute our own good behaviour to our own efforts, and our less than perfect behaviour to external sources. In contrast, we tend to attribute other people's good behaviour to externals and their less than perfect behaviour to their internal attitudes and choices. Let me give you a couple of examples. For ourselves, we may say, I was late because the traffic was really heavy. But for the other person, I could say he was late because time never seems to mean anything to him or her. Or I could say for myself, I didn't clean the dishes because I have a test tomorrow which I must study for. But for the other person, I might say she didn't clean the dishes because she's lazy and leave things for other people to clean up. Plenty of people were upset with Jesus. They even killed him. Lots of people were upset with Paul, so upset they beat him, stoned him, imprisoned him. That's why Romans 12 tells us to simply make sure we have done what is right on our side. We can't make the other person do right, but we must be very, very sure that we have done our part right in the eyes of God. Our vertical relationship with God depends on our horizontal relationships with the people on earth. The two go hand in hand, and to God be the glory. Amen.